everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 184 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, or if you go to Acoustic Disc's website right now, there's a link right in the description of this here podcast. You can sign up for their email list and they'll send you a free song every week from their incredible catalog of music. Not only that, they release new music once a month at least, uh, sometimes twice a month, and they have a great podcast, Acoustic Encounters, with the dog, David Grisman, and Danny Barnes. So be sure to go over to Acoustic Disc. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Get a safe Memorial Day weekend. Trying to finish this editing up right now so I can get this episode out this week. I'm getting ready to catch a flight first thing in the morning. Head up to Michigan. It's going to be great to see family and friends and hopefully stop into Elderly Instruments. Um, Bryce Rabideau, great album. Uh, it's been featured on the front page of the Mandolin Cafe. And, and um, Bryce actually reached out to me. I believe the first email I got from him, I was actually in Nashville getting ready to record uh, the first four songs of this project that I have coming out that I cannot wait to tell you more about, but four more songs to go before I want to talk about it. I want it to be finished, at least finished, recorded, and then the mixing and mastering will come after that, but I'm really excited about it. Regardless, Bryce reached out to me then and sent me um, a couple of the tunes, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear this entire album. And so we've been playing some email tag and finally got it together. It's a great album. It's available on Bandcamp now. It's only $7 for an entire album. It's $7. So, and Bandcamp Friday, this is, uh, today is Bandcamp Friday if you're listening the day this episode is released, and that would be June 2nd. So, if you do that, Bryce will get all the money, as will any artist that you go to on Bandcamp today on June 2nd, or the first Friday of the month. It's a great deal, so... If there's an album you've been thinking about picking up, head over to Bandcamp and see if it's available there and uh, support your your favorite artists. So speaking of that, let's get into the uh, ads here real quick. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. They're all instructors on Peghead Nation. They have high-quality multi-angle video lessons. They have downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use their promo code MANDOLINBEER. It's all one word at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Be sure also to follow them on the Instagram. They're always putting some beautiful, beautiful stuff on Instagram, as does Ear Trumpet Labs. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand built microphones from Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. I love mine. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. By the way, if you're on the Facebooks, uh, Tom Ellis 
not only is he just a master luthier, but he's an incredible photographer, and he posts some incredible bird photographs as well. He just posted some yesterday or today, and they're just stunning. So if you get a chance, follow Tom on Facebook as well. You know, there, it's, it's some really inspiring stuff outside of music. So give him a follow. Tone Slabs. Slabs of Tone are now shipping. Developed and crafted by Frank Sullivan and David Welch. Man, I love mine. I've got the Darth Tone, I believe they call it. And it is the black material. And man, I haven't put it down since I got it. They even put the mandolins and beer logo on it, which was super sweet of them to do. Uh, it's got a killer bevel. They've got all the shapes and sizes you would expect. And I believe you can uh, you can get them with no bevel, a speed bevel, a regular bevel. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, just shoot them a message. Go over to toneslabs.com now and get yourself a slab of tone. You know, ever since I had that interview last week with Will Kimball, I've been digging through my my books from Roger Siminoff here on mandolin construction, and I think I'm going to pull the trigger. And you can do the same if you go to straightupstrings.com. Not only can you get the great straight-up strings that Roger Siminoff has come up with, but you can also get the incredible instruction manuals. And... You can get 10% off for being a mandolins and beer listener, anything from the site. That's right. If you use all caps, Mando Beer at checkout, you can get 10% off the strings. You can get 10% off the books. And don't forget to sign up for Roger's newsletter as well. Great stuff just once a month. So sign up while you're there. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to order some tone wood when I get home from this Michigan trip and, and give her a shot. You know... Or I could just go to Elderly and buy myself a brand new instrument as well. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new used vintage fretted and stringed instruments for the experienced beginner player. Their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 50th year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, y'all, let's get into this episode with Bryce. By the way, below in the description, it's got the uh, clips of the tunes, the names of those that are being played, and links where you can go and purchase them. It's also got a link. We talk about some Mike Marshall stuff and the Finger Buster book in particular. There's links below where you can click that, and you can buy those books right from Elderly Instruments as well. And also a YouTube link to the video where... Uh, Bryce plays amongst the planets. All right, everybody, have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. Now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Bryce Rabideau. Bryce, how's it going? Not bad, Daniel. Thanks for having me on, my friend. Oh man, thank you so much for doing it, and thank you for your patience during this last month of chaos. Um, we've been in contact for, geez, a few months, I think, before you even had the Masters back. Yes, I kept you waiting for a little while, uh, so I I just see it as you returning the favor. <laughs> I'll tell you though, man, well, you sent me those... Um, Initial videos, I was really, really excited to hear the entire album. The, like the the initial tunes that you sent me really blew my mind. Hey, that's good to hear. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you just got back from, you also play in Buffalo Rose, and you guys mm-hmm. just got back from a really cool gig 
uh, our really cool weekend, I guess I should say. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so this was Folk College in Huntington, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, we had a weekend of clinics and performances. And it was basically like a little semester of college packed into a weekend for uh, adults and young adults who wanted to learn about folk music and just the ins and outs of acoustic music of, of any stripe. Um, so the band kind of split up and taught clinics for the weekend. And then we had a big performance at the end. And it was a blast. It was very cool. That's great. Do you do much uh, clinic stuff? Um, I'm getting into it more. Um, I found I love it, honestly. I love teaching. And I'm just getting to the point in my career where I feel like I have sort of varied, a varied like uh, sort of backlog of, of material that people can find something they want to learn about and I can teach it to them. So that's exciting. In the last two years, I've done a lot more teaching adults and teaching groups of adults and like very focused genre based clinics. That's all very fun for me. When you, when you pick, yeah. like, when you say genre based, is there a particular genre you're doing or is it kind of, you, they give you a heads up because you have multiple styles of music that it seems like you're definitely influenced by. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, my background for many years was in jazz music um, and swing and, and jazz fusion and like these styles that, that, were offshoots of jazz. So I've, I've been sort of implementing that on the mandolin over the last handful of years. And it's, I haven't been able to teach that stuff much, but the most fun I ever have these days is teaching jazz on the mandolin. Cause it's just such a niche thing. And when people are into it, they're really into it. <laughs> I can <laughs> yeah. get into the details with them and it's, it's kind of a blast. Well, how did you, now you started off your, it kind of um, an Americana indie rock guy before mm-hmm. before getting mm-hmm. into mandolin. What was some of the stuff that you were that you were listening to pre mandolin playing? Yeah, so I unlike I think a lot of the guests you've had on your podcast and a lot of my favorite mandolinists, I didn't come to the instrument um, until I was in my like really early twenties or late teens. I was always a little bit leaning towards like guitar based music and guitar playing. Uh, and I, when I was younger, I was listening to a lot of like contemporary indie rock bands like Bonnie Bear or Fleet Foxes, uh, that kind of thing. And then in my late teens, I got into, um, jazz a little bit more and went to school for jazz guitar. Um, and then, uh, somewhere in, in college, I decided it was really hard to sit in a practice room for eight hours a day with one style of music and one instrument uh, <laughs> that just <laughs> it was starting to, to feel like I wanted to branch out a little bit so I bought a mandolin on Craigslist uh, I listened to everything Chris Thiele ever did uh, and transcribed most of it and then I you know from there I kind of worked backwards through the mandolin chronology uh, and now I I'm a big mandolin nerd across many styles and genres, but it took me a while to get there. In the beginning, it was just like a passing interest. That's wild. We have, uh, reading your bio reminded me that we, we, it seems like we have similar, similar backgrounds in a sense. I didn't start playing mandolin till late in the game either. I was really into like Americana and like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like Wilco, uh, Whiskey Town, stuff yeah. like that. And then um, sure. and you have Nick Drake on here. I love Nick Drake, man. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I started the same way too. I uh, accidentally bought a Nickel Creek CD and um, <laughs> was by the time I'd gotten to work that that morning, I was, I was ordering a mandolin. I'm like, what is this mandolin thing? <laughs> so yeah, that's excellent. So you, so you were already in school for music 
um, mm -hmm. when you purchased the mandolin? Yeah, yeah. I was going to, to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Boston and I moved to Pittsburgh to go to school. Um, and yeah, for many years, I thought I, I was going to be like a, you know, a jazz guitarist or, you know, go on the road with with a pop act somewhere. Um, and at some point, I, I just started to have a little bit more fun taking some of the styles I loved on guitar and, and moving them to the mandolin and sort of experimenting with them in the acoustic music world. I found that very satisfying. Now, were there people at school that was, was there like an acoustic music program where you were able to like meet people with similar interests or was it just strictly a jazz program? Uh, it was pretty intense on, on jazz and, you know, it wasn't like, like the Berkeley Roots program or anything even remotely close to that was happening at Duquesne. Um, so I kind of made my own way with it. There was a country band there that I joined, you know, after three weeks of learning the mandolin and mandolin <laughs> chords um, and uh, sort of faked my way for a while through, through that. But very quickly I met people in Pittsburgh outside of school that were doing it uh, and very, very interested in like the same things I was interested in, like chamber music, with with outside influences um uh, my my uh bassist on my record jason raflack was a big part of that too he when i met him when i was in my early 20s and had sort of just graduated we really bonded quickly over loving like crooked still and nickel creek and some of these groups that take you know influences from non-acoustic genres and put them into an acoustic setting uh and sort of experiment with them there and uh, I found that stuff largely outside of, of school. Man, I loved Crooked Still as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, was it the, the bass player? Did he also then play upright? I think maybe that might be a probably yes. yeah, a, a good guide stone. Seems like a lot of those really good jazz guys also some find themselves into maybe bluegrass gigs for the fact they play a giant <laughs> upright instrument. <laughs> yeah. If you play upright, you're always working. And he, <laughs> he, he found a lot of different genres interesting and, and sort of made a name for himself. I think in Pittsburgh is one of the versatile upright bases that you could call for, for almost anything. I think a lot of people get into mandolin via the guitar as opposed to the other way around. And I was wondering, since you started on guitar and got into mandolin and you're going to school for a living, what are some things that you found transferred over pretty easy for people out there listening who might be wanting to pick up mandolin, but they, uh, they're currently guitar players? Yeah, well, uh, I didn't. It's funny. Initially, I don't feel like I thought much about it. I, uh, I kind of took some of the chord principles that I chord and, and and scale principles i had on the guitar and moved them over to mandolin and for the first like year of the mandolin i wasn't playing anything open like i was playing all these closed position scales and like <laughs> in weird keys and i was just trying to take some of the my approach to jazz and put it on the mandolin um and then i after a while i realized you know a lot of the sound of the mandolin at least in bluegrass and americana is like open strings or open voicings of things um so i kind of pushed myself to to go back and learn like, you know, G and D and, and a scales and licks like in this open positions and, uh, try to embrace like the things that made the mandolin distinct from the guitar, certainly from, from jazz guitar. Um, but it's funny, my approach to the instrument didn't, wasn't really that different from an bird's eye view. Like I really, 
I just spent a lot of time like working on fundamental stuff that I was already doing in, in the practice room on, on guitar. And then, uh, yeah, being very diligent about like not letting my pinky, uh, go to crap and, uh, <laughs> and making sure that like my, my, uh, it, w- it was nice to come to an instrument after, you know, a decade of playing another instrument and trying to correct my own bad habits. Like it, it's nice to have some of that practice experience already under your belt. I encourage everyone to to learn tons of instruments. Cause I think every time I pick a new one up, I get better at the other ones. Did you have to change your right hand technique much from, from guitar playing? Uh, yes, actually. And my guitar playing improved because of it. So I think there's certain things with electric instruments that you can just get by on. So, you know, if you're resting your hand in a certain way, but your pick is still hitting the string, then you're going to get maybe a more uniform tone out of an electric guitar because the string is vibrating. You know, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but acoustic instruments are so sensitive to exactly how your hand is hitting the string and the angle that the pick is hitting and the type of pick you're using. Um, I found I was a little lazy on the electric guitar about some of those things. And uh, when I moved over to the mandolin, I uh, I spent like hours watching the first like seven minutes of this Chris Thiele tutorial where he just talks about keeping your hand relaxed <laughs> and sticking your thumb out kind of in this like thumbs up position and just placing the pick on the pointer finger. Just like really wanted to get that right. And then when I did and my right hand was really relaxed, I realized that was like so important to tone production on the mandolin when it really didn't matter nearly as much on electric guitar. Um, so I, I did a lot of adjusting and it's, I'm still on that road, you know, but it, it was something I really had to address early on. It's so funny watching that Thiele, uh DVD like now because he looks like a completely yeah. different human being. <laughs> he's like <laughs> totally, such a yeah. little kid, you know, <laughs> he's this genius. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Though. Yeah. And it's funny. Some of his tutorial videos are great. And then some of them are almost because he's he's so ahead of his time, like he, he almost can't explain some of the things he does because I think they're so innate to him. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I remember watching some and getting so much out of it and then watching some videos and being like, I don't think he even knows what's going Like he's, he's so deeply, uh, uh, you know, this is so deeply part of him that he, he might not be able to break it down any further. Um, I, I really loved the Mike Marshall homespun DVD. That actually was an early, really helpful uh, tool for me as well of him he went through like these sort of uh left hand right hand warm-ups that were like you know pointer middle pointer middle pointer middle pointer middle pointer ring pointer ring like these very fundamental sort of almost muscle strengthening techniques in the left hand that was that was really huge for me too do you remember the name of that one i had i think i have one that he did on theory where he's got like a giant white mm. pad of paper where he goes around like the circle of fifths that's really really great but um, yeah it might have been that might have been one in the same i can't remember now i'm looking at my desktop of my computer right now i think it's like saved here somewhere <laughs> but i can't see it at the moment i i love all this stuff man me too me too and it, it's been so helpful uh, again i i didn't grow up with this instrument so these and and even in college there wasn't anyone playing it around so these videos really were critical for me you know another great one and i don't even know if this book is published anymore um 
if it is, I'll put a link to it. But he had that Finger Busters book that he yeah. put out. That was another really I've, good one. I've seen that. I don't know if I've ever like worked my way through it, but I I'm sure that would be useful for anybody. Yeah, I love I love Mike Marshall in general. I think he's got a really good approach to the instrument. Great vibe, great player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so great, man. Totally, totally. So then how did you, you've been playing with, you joined Buffalo Rose, that's been since 2016. How did you join that band? I was playing in another band at the time called Ferdinand the Bull, and we had toured the country a few times just in a Jeep Compass, like sort of roughing it. Um, and that was a little bit more of like a pop acoustic country thing. Um, and I was just learning the mandolin with them. And eventually, uh, it's just such a, you know, it's a very strong but small scene in Pittsburgh for acoustic music. So uh, we all met each other through sharing shows and, um, you know, playing the same venues, sharing band members. Uh, and once Buffalo Rose was formed, like a few gigs into their their life, um, their Dobro player couldn't make a show. Uh, and they knew that I played mandolin and they were like, we need just a, an instrument that can hold down rhythm and play lead lines, basically, for this show. So they called me and then they... They liked having me on board, and I You're guess it's a compromise. In a Jeep they just kept me on. I am player on, and now we're a six-piece <laughs> band. We added a bass player shortly after that, uh, which is great. We, our, our Dober player Mac is a a great carpenter among many other things, and he's sort of built out the inside of this van uh, so that it's got instrument storage compartments and like a fridge and a microwave. It's very comfortable in there for being a s- scrappy folk band's vehicle. <laughs> Now, do you do much songwriting as a songwriter in that band, or are you are you kind of do you, are the, the songs coming? Because it's a pretty large band, and then you it know is. that you had joined yeah. in. Uh, how does how do you work that in to the the playing situation? Um, I do the, the arranging process is really all hands on deck with Buffalo Rose, but the songwriting is mostly uh, our, our two of our singers, Lucy Clabby and Shane McLaughlin. And uh, and uh, Margot Jezerk is is our third singer. Has also started writing more material. But usually they come to the band with a song, and we like break it way down to its elements and build it back up and kind of uh, build an instrumental arrangement out of out of their song. So I don't do a lot of songwriting with the group, but but lots of arranging, very intricate sort of painstaking arranging. And, and it's, we, <laughs> We refer to ourselves as a range core sometimes, for lack of a better genre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great, I've never heard that. That's great. Yeah, I don't, I think we made it up, but yeah. uh, it's a blessing and a curse. It means that a lot of, a lot of times we argue over one note for an hour, you know. Um, but uh, in my own writing, I mean, part of what I, why I made this, this meanwhile project is because I love writing and I love instrumental music and I wanted to sort of build my own thing up from the ground up. And I do that sort of privately a lot. And I, 
in other contexts, you know, I, I compose on commission sometimes, but this was just a passion project of mine and I wanted to do it all myself, see how that felt. Yeah, well, and that's why I asked too, because this this new album, Meanwhile, is incredible and the compositions are great and there are vocal tunes on there as well and, and all the mm-hmm. tunes are great. So I wondered if you had any hand in writing with Buffalo Rose because this album is so good, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I... Yeah, this is this is a, a much more uh, me centric project than Buffalo. You know, we it's very we share the burden of Buffalo Rose quite a bit. But uh, thank you, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. And now um, it, it, you had it says you had received funding from Pathways Jazz Grant Program and the New Hazlitt Theater to compose, perform, or record a suite of instrumental songs for mandolin, acoustic guitar, and double bass. So that's how mm-hmm. Meanwhile kind of came about. Yes, I'm glad you brought up those those two institutions because they were really helpful. Um, the new Hazlet Theater funded the first performance of the work and gave me a budget for like a really wild set and like uh, a lot of rehearsal time and space. And that was really cool. That happened in late 2021. And then um, the Pathways to Jazz grant from the Boulder County Arts Alliance uh, was the funding for the the actual recording process. Now, how does how does something like that come about? With um, is that something that you apply for? Is it something they've they've heard some stuff you've done and you're put in with a pool of people to to listen to? How does that all happen? Because that's amazing. Yeah, I I got uh, in in around I don't know the early pandemic. One of the things I was doing a lot of was uh, just researching grant uh, programs because I knew you know something like this is not you know, somewhat exploratory mandolin music is not going to be hitting the number one spot on the billboard charts. It's not <laughs> going to make me a bunch of money at the, on the back end, but I really am passionate about it. Um, and, uh, I knew I had to fund it somehow. Um, so that was just, I, I made it a mission to go find, uh, grant programs that would take interest in, in that stuff. And those were two things that crossed my plate. And so I wrote a grant application and applied and, uh, they both gave me some money, which was great. Man, congratulations! That's that's incredible. Incredible <laughs> that you took the initiative to find uh, other ways to do that, and it's incredible too that there's still programs out there that fund music. You know that mm-hmm. uh, help musicians get along. It's so important. Yeah, I'm really grateful to them. I think it's it's great. How much of it was written prior to the theater? Uh, program had you already started writing at that point or or was that the impetus for you to really be like okay i'm going to put together this whole project yeah i i had written the entire record actually by that wow late 2021 yeah um and i had recorded half of it too actually so the recording process just took a long time um i wanted to get everything right i wanted us to be well rehearsed buffalo rose travels nearly every weekend so it was just i had to pick my spots um, on when the recording was going to happen. Um, I, I should, I should mention now we're, we're too deep into the, the episode for me to be mentioning him. I should have done this at the top, but John Bagnato is the guitarist on this record and he's a really incredible musician and he's not a member of Buffalo Rose, like, like our bassist Jason is, but, um, he was the third piece of this puzzle. Also a, a very busy working musician in high demand in Pittsburgh. So to get the three of us together, it just, I had to be carefully calibrating when our, time would be spent um but after this 2021 performance uh we spent the, the following summer finishing the record basically 2022 like doing a lot of recording 
recording. Um, and then I flew down to Gainesville, Florida to mix it, which is a whole nother thing uh, <laughs> that we can get into. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, and that, that leads us to today. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll post a video, but the set, for that with the the planets or the moons so is that yeah amazing yeah. looking <laughs> yeah i gotta give a shout out to tucker topol who was our set designer for uh that show and it was part of this you know the new hazlet program uh just part of their deal is they hook you up with a set designer and a lighting designer and you know these things are on some level uh you know not the most important part of a musical performance obviously but on another level it just elevated the whole thing I, I had a sort of a script a narrative that i had running through these the performance of these 10 songs and it was important for the audience to sort of feel like they were in on something and engrossed in a deep way and tucker's set really helped with that it was fun to work with him and yeah i i, I realize like the visual component really you know like you can do it without that but whenever i walk mm -hmm. into a theater and unexpectedly already see like a bunch of stuff on the stage that looks like is there for a reason and on purpose i'm mm -hmm. like oh this is gonna be awesome <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> yeah, it's just gonna absolutely. add to the music i love light shows and in production and stuff like that and the minute i saw that video i'm like what this is incredible looking <laughs> yeah it was a blast. i've never done anything like that and i may might be a while before i do something like that again where i have just all this access to to a cool set like that do, do you get to keep the set in your living room <laughs> oh i don't i i I'm trying to think if I have any piece of it. It was very unwieldy to store. Uh, <laughs> I bet. These giant inflatable planets, basically. <laughs> uh, I can't, I think maybe our, you know, our, our Dobra player for, for Buffalo Rose, Mac, also ran a lot of the sound tech for that show. I think he might have grabbed one of those giant inflatable planets. Awesome. Kept it somewhere. I got to check in with him about that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you record this in Pittsburgh? I did. Yes. We do a lot of our, uh, rehearsing and some of our recording less, less lately, but for our full length record, Buffalo Rose's full length record, we recorded it at this unity center that, um, we have a good relationship with. We use their space for a handful of things. And then we have a bunch of recording gear there as well. Um, so I recorded the album there and, uh, did it all in one room with some, some amount of sound separation, but I really wanted the record to feel kind of organic and like we were playing off of each other. And I, I know the feeling of when people have been recording in individual sort of ISO booths for weeks on end and trying to piece their parts together. And depending on the type of record that can be very effective, but I, I really wanted like an organic all in one room kind of vibe. Yeah. It's, it, you've, you've captured it. It sounds so good. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with the results. It's a super nerdy question, but do you remember what kind of mic or yeah. mics you used on the mandolin? I figured I called my engineer last night just yeah! to make sure I could answer this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I love the AEA ribbon mics on, on mandolins. sound great. I used a uh, R84 on that, or Mac did rather, and I complied. Um, and then we had another AEA ribbon on the base, a, a KU5A, um, and then the Neumann TLM76 on the guitar. Nice. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was all the, you know, it was mostly a trio record, so that was all the instruments. We had some overheads. I don't remember what those were um, off the top of my head. 
but that's most of what you're hearing. And so then you said you flew down to Florida then to, uh, to mix it. Yes. Uh, this, this studio called Pulp Arts is really great. And we do a lot of our Buffalo Rose work down there. They're like, so, uh, you know, they kind of give us free reign over the studio to do a lot of weird creative things with space echoes and, uh, (laughs) whatnot. So, uh, they, they, we just have a good relationship with them and it's totally worth the trip. So, the last trip we took, we were mixing our EP, our Buffalo Rose EP, which is um, will be coming out down the road. But I also took the B room and mixed my uh, Meanwhile record kind of simultaneously. Um, and it, that it's just, there's something cool about, you know, a lot of people mix in the box these days or like uh, sort of find the sounds they want within a DAW, like Pro Tools. But I think it was very cool to sit there with like hardware compressors and a physical board and like make sure everything was, was sounding good in a really great room. That was, that was like worth its weight in gold. Let's talk about a couple of the tunes from the album here, kind of maybe a progression, like the, you know, like some of the earlier stuff or ones for you that really stand out um, from the project. Sure. Uh, yeah. The, the one you mentioned, the one that I sent you early on that I have a video for is called Where Do We Stand? It's the second track off the record. One of the first ones I think I brought to the group and I like, I like bringing this one up first, just because this is a very eclectic record. Like my, I draw inspiration from a lot of different genres and musical sources. And this was kind of influenced by a pianist, Thelonious Monk, who's a great jazz composer, very, you know, angular, like occasionally very dissonant, more than occasionally, often very dissonant compositional style. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to write a melody that was a little bit like that. And then once I put it in a trio setting, I realized it was sounding sort of grismany and like, you know, I almost came around to a, an acoustic style via a pianist that, you know, had maybe never touched a mandolin in his life. So I just think it's, it's very interesting to me that, uh, when you, when you end up combining like genres, you might get something that someone else arrived at in a totally different way, potentially. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about music. It starts one way, and then once you start developing it, developing it, it really can go anywhere if, if you let it, you know, and being open-minded enough to be like, oh, wow, let's follow this for a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so so this tune is uh, is sort of angular and, and sometimes unresolved uh, in a way that I am... I ended up really liking and it features a lot of Jason and John, which I always am trying to do on this record because they just, they have very interesting eclectic styles that really vibes with my compositions, I think. I really love the track Forgotten Green.
Hey, yeah, that's a that's a surprise hit. That one I've had more people. That was like the very last tune I finished, and I did it feeling like, man, I hope this comes together because I'm a little bit down to the wire now, and I gotta <laughs> get this track. Like I gotta get Jason and John this music before, you know, like at least two weeks before we have to stand on stage and play it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but people have told me that that's a lot of people's favorite track and uh it's got a couple tempo changes it was it was inspired um i took a trip to north carolina like this i forget where exactly but it was sort of a cabin in the woods with my family in late 2020 um and i wrote sort of the main melody there um which is sort of a mandolin chord arpeggiated chord thing um introduction and uh and then i built these other sort of cascading parts that change tempo and it all culminates in kind of like this bass mandolin like conversation that lasts for a while and as i was writing i just kept thinking like i hope this isn't a cop-out like i'm i'm uh you know i'm gonna end with this long bass mandolin battle and like it might feel a little like too much or whatever uh but then people love it and i'm really glad i'm really (laughs) glad that None of my fears uh, came true in that it's a lot of people's favorite track. Well, it's beautiful. You know, I, I think, you know, sometimes as musicians, we get in our own heads worrying about, you know, like, oh, no, you know, am I, you know, but it all goes down to it's a beautiful melody. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that speaks to people a lot, too, is just like, wow, well, you've, you've caught my ear already. I'm I'm here for the mm-hmm. ride. <laughs> so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think... I, I always try to keep melody as the main uh, main attraction on, on my compositions because I think it's so easy to try to be showy right out of the gate or try to be like very technically impressive before you're melodically compelling. And uh, in my experience, it's just so much easier to get into a song when you're pulled in by something uh, that feels like it speaks to you uh, in a s- almost simple, direct way. And then you can really run with it embellish it uh how about another one on here that you really uh are happy with i should say that's the other thing that's tough sometimes when you're a composer <laughs> man right is like like uh-huh. you said with like forgotten green you're like oh you know uh, mm-hmm. this uh, you, you know you got something good there but y- you we're, we're self-doubters by nature i think <laughs> most of us yeah absolutely um i i will jump to I think Forgotten Green is the longest track on the record, and I'll jump to the shortest track, uh, which is right before it, uh, Stars at Roper Hollow is the name of it. This has this is the only track that features no like moments of improvisation or solos really like every note in this song was on the page um, when I wrote it 
And I, I just had a lot of fun, like putting together this melody that like weaves between, I don't know, like four or five keys in the span of, of like 30 seconds and then trying <laughs> to find a way to get the guitar and the bass to follow it in, in the, like a natural way. Um, and, uh, yeah, something about that was just a blast. And I, I, as a person with a jazz background, I, I often sometimes fall back on improvisation as a way to carry a song to its end point. And I had fun trying to get there in this case without doing that. Reading your bio, especially while listening to this album, you've done a really great job, I think, of, of putting all of your influences into this recording and still making it, you know, I mean, it sounds like an album. I don't, I, I haven't listened to this album and been like, oh, this just, this sounds like um, this guy's listened to a lot of blank, you know, I, I, you really <laughs> yeah. get to, I, like, I catch like a, the songs with the vocals make me think of some of the alt rock stuff in a sort of way, like the melodies, I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, the compositional things really just kind of, um, there's to show that you've really spent a lot of times in multiple styles of music and I think you've accomplished the tough thing of not cramming, you know, like not shoehorning something in where it's like, oh, that seems like it's just there to be there. You know, it's they all flow really well. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Definitely. That was that was part of my mission was to uh, to put a little bit of all the parts of myself into this um, and not try to do something just because it was. I uh, felt like it would be impressive or cool because someone else has done it or, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, so I, that's a very, a very nice compliment. Thank you. Oh yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for putting a beautiful album out. Yeah, absolutely. When you're writing stuff, do you start out, do you have an instrument in your hand? Can you, do you write at times without an instrument? You know, how do you, uh, how do you compose? Yeah, I I did a lot of writing on this record without an instrument in my hands. Um just ha- just letting melodies come to me. Um and then going to the mandolin and figuring out how to what key it would work best in, how to voice it so that it felt like it was still singing though it was singing in my head. Um a couple of these melodies that wasn't true. I think especially the ones that are a little bit more like off kilter like like this where do we stand? Or stars are ripper hollow these are things that i had to sit there and kind of figure out what sounded good or felt good but um a lot of these tracks i would literally like wake up and start my day like make tea and then they would i would just be humming something and then i would try to uh put it into either the bass or the guitar or the mandolin from there and see where it would work best in a trio setting i should mention too uh that everything almost everything on this record is is very uh intricately like arranged it's all notated uh, i had to find musicians that were pretty comfortable reading like standard musical notation um which is not always true honestly in jazz or in bluegrass i think a lot of times those are very aural styles and things are passed along in in a way that doesn't require um sheet music but uh i really wanted to have like these songs unfold in a way where like we could come together in a very specific way and then move apart. Um, so I spent a lot of time, once I had the melody to a song, I spent a lot of time like sitting there in finale, which is the notation program I use and just figuring out how to make them play with the instruments together. Um, which I, I hope gives this kind of a different sound too. I love bluegrass and I love jazz and those are two very strong influences 
for the way these songs came together. But I knew if I was going to get the sound that I wanted out of the trio, I couldn't necessarily just make a, you know, a 24 bar piece of music and, and then dole out solos where I thought they belonged. <laughs> like uh, I had to be very particular about where some of that stuff landed. It's interesting hearing that too, because it doesn't, none of it, like, again, not to use the shoehorn thing again, but none of it feels forced. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it feels very organic. And that's that, another kudos to you um, for, for not only making it sound like that, but for also following your vision through and putting in the work. Cause it's, you know, I can't imagine it was easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, I love, uh, I get, I get made fun of sometimes by other, other music friends, but I really like sitting alone in a room staring at a computer screen, like putting, <laughs> putting instrument sounds where they should go. And then of course I love even more hearing it all together in a room, but that preparation pro- process uh, is really fun for me. Um, to be able to sit there and be like, I can tell the bass, at least in this moment, I can give the bass exactly what I want to hear. And then I can let them loose, you know, eight bars later. Um, but that's, there's something very satisfying about that. Almost like writing a book or like uh, just putting things very precisely where they, where they are in my head. Is that something that you got at school and compositionally wise, or were you like that even before you went to school with, with your love of composing and putting things together like that? Um, I, I do think my experience with music up until college was a little bit more solitary than some people's. Um, I, I spent a lot of time writing things by myself and, and recording them by myself. I had like a very rudimentary Pro Tools rig, like back in the Mbox days. Um, in the like early 2000s, I just had, you know, a, a very simple interface and I would just multi-track myself um, as a kid. And I think that experience made me really want to write music in a similar way, at least the composing process. I wanted to do that in a similar way in my professional life now. Um, and the difference is that I can then go seek out people who are way better at, at the upright bass or the guitar than I am <laughs> and give them the job of playing those things. And then we can do it on a stage, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I do think that's how I've always kind of liked to compose. What's, uh, let's talk about your, your, your main acts. What's your main mandolin you're playing? Yeah, so I've got a, a Stiver F-Style that I um, I got about three years ago now um, that I really love. I Before then, I was working with like a, you know, a factory-made, Korean-made instrument that I had bought in college. And then I was realizing just, you know, three or four years ago that I really need to upgrade if I want to compose and, and play at a higher level. And uh, this thing has not disappointed yeah, those are great mandolins. Where'd you uh, where'd you pick it up from? Yeah, shout out to Acoustic Music Works in Pittsburgh. They're an amazing shop. Um, Raymond and Steve over there are excellent at what they do. They've got like world class instruments there. And and I actually I had gone. I have I've met uh, Lou Stiver a couple times. And just he did work on my previous kind of beater mandolin. And then he's he's done some work on this this one after i picked it up from acoustic music works but he's got a good relationship with them and uh yeah that's that shop is great how about strings and picks yeah i I have a blue chip uh, that i really like it's the standard like 1.4 millimeter chris thiele triangle thing um that i bought 
thinking that I wouldn't like it any more than a $3 pick. And then I did. Uh, <laughs> you can hear the shame in my voice that I, I'm, I'm now hooked on the $40 option. And I'm, I think I'm going to, that's, that'll, that's what I'll be using for a while. Uh, but I love it. Yeah. It's, it does the job. Um, and I, shortly after our Dobro player for Buffalo Rose bought Dobro blue chip picks and he loves them too. He's got the, uh, the blue chip finger picks. So, um, we are a blue chip family through and through at this point. Um, and, uh, and then the strings, I use the Diderio excesses, um, the coded Diderios that I never liked the coded strings. I, I think they, they're probably sick of hearing this now because I've, I've talked to a lot of mandolin players about it, but, um, the, the Diderio, the new Diderio coded line is like awesome. And, actually in a lot of ways better than the uncoded strings in my opinion, because you put them on and then you can play a gig with them like the next day and they're not piercingly bright. They're like kind of a little mellow right out the gate. And then they stay that way for a while, you know? So how about um, now live too on that performance? It looks like you are, uh, you have a monitor in front of you and I don't see a microphone. Are you use are you plugged in when you play live? Uh, this is always fun to talk about actually, because we have a custom system in our band now that, uh, in, in the case of that performance of meanwhile, um, that was, we were using, uh, floor monitors for that, but the band uses in-ear monitors and we've got, um, we've all, all the instruments in our band have, uh, custom like, uh, installed microphones in our instrument What? that, yeah, this is the work of our our, uh, you know, carpenter, dober player, engineer, sound mixer, Mac, um, in the band who kind of came up with this, this concept of sending signal out of the instrument through a pickup and through the microphone in a stereo cable, and then sending that stereo cable into the Felix. We all have grace Felix pedals. Um, and we blend the two signals on our pedal, but just using one like stereo cable that goes out to to two wireless packs um what this, so <laughs> what kind of uh so what are, what's the unless this is proprietary but what, what's the uh, yeah. pickup in the microphone that that you have in your instrument so this is embarrassing that i don't remember what the microphone is it sounds good is what i yeah, can tell you well, that's, um, that's why i'm asking it's, about <laughs> <laughs> it's a k and k pickup that i had installed a few years prior um and uh yeah i I don't know. We we've been getting good comments all around the country from like our, our sound people uh, being like, that's really weird what you guys did, but it sounds great. And um, you know, what's cool about it too, is we can play on like, if we're in a small, like really live room with a lot of potential for feedback, we can turn our blend, you know, in the, in the uh, pickup direction and take care of that very quickly. Um, but then there's also not, we're not like, plugged in in a really unwieldy way like everything's running right to these two wireless packs that goes to our pedals directly um it's really cool i'm, I'm trying to get mac <laughs> all the credit that he deserves for this thing he's very proud of it and uh, i i think yeah i'm hoping more bands do some some stuff like this if they can swing it and so the microphone's inside the mandolin yes we installed it together we had to get in there uh, and solder some wires and uh, Mr. Stiver, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. 
Uh, we didn't hurt the instrument. <laughs> we were very careful. Uh, I've had a couple luthiers giving me the side eye when I talk about this, but um, yeah, we were. It was, it was just getting the ins- the mic in there was a little tough, but once it's in there, now it's it's great. Wow, that's wow, that's really interesting. Cool, man. Yeah, that's yeah. Wow, my mind is blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a good thing we got going. Yeah, cool, man. Um, uh, let's get to the uh, the ten minute a day question here. Um, oh, somebody yeah. who spent eight hours practicing at college. Actually, before we get to that ten minutes a day, how did you structure sure. when you had that long of amount of a time to practice? Mm-hmm. Did you have like a you know you you know like you said you get up in the morning you have your tea you start doing your thing? Did you have a structured program every day? that you were like, okay, here we go. Yeah. I, it's funny. I actually think, um, in just the, what I've in my years since then, I've learned how to structure my practice sessions more effectively. Um, even with a little bit less time to work with, but back in the day I did, uh, a lot of like technical, I did a lot of technical workouts for like the first hour of, of my practice. And then a lot of, uh, I don't know, probably too much like just repertoire stuff in college where I would like do a lot of technical workouts, but then I would just improvise over tunes for hours. Um, that was kind of my like, and I think in the jazz world, that's so, sort of what you have to do for a long time before you get really comfortable um, just with the amount of improvisation that jazz demands. Um, but a lot of a lot of time with like, you know, backing track software and uh and trying to get like the changes to one tune in my head for you know initially it was you know it'd take a week to remember just one 36 bar tune um but the nice thing about school was too a lot of the practice was with other people as well so you could spend your morning practicing and then um I got to be like the weirdo mandolinist jazz mandolinist at school who people would come by and jam with they were also getting bored of like jam sessions with four guitars in them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh my gosh. So if you had to boil that down now, taking eight hours of, mm-hmm. of, of practicing time and you only had 10 minutes, you'd say to work on something, but what's something that you would recommend for them to work on? Yeah. Well, this is, uh, something that I started doing very regularly, like two, two, one or two years ago, uh, just in my spending time with Jacob Jolliffe, who's obviously an incredible mandolinist. I know you've had him on the show a few times. Um, but having him walk me through his daily routine, I realized one of the coolest things that he does is just sit there with his mandolin and not fret anything in the left hand, but just play sets of like four, 16th notes to a metronome in the right hand and like get really relaxed and like move through the string sets that way and then break it down into three groups of three notes move from string set to string set um and that's if i had 10 minutes i would spend five minutes just doing that with the right hand because to me the right hand is like the whole ball game in many cases um and then the other thing I've been doing lately is um, just practicing arpeggios. And this this may not be quite as useful for like bluegrass playing, but I really like just knowing the fretboard and feeling really comfortable 
using all my fingers across the fretboard. So I've been um, playing through our like triad arpeggios around the circle of fifths in every key, just uh, one at a time. Actually, it's oftentimes like seven chords, I guess, like C major seven and then an F major seven and a B flat major seven. And just doing that to a metronome and like forcing myself all around the circle of fifths so that I can get back to C and feel like I've hit every note in this part of the mandolin. And I feel really comfortable with like, you know, whatever someone's going to throw at me in the tune. And then the final question, do you have a favorite beer? Yes. So I, uh, I'm not the biggest beer drinker, but I, you know, I don't know if you're allowed to be playing smoky bars for a decade and not have at least a few beers along the way. So I, uh, I'm kind of a lager. I'm not a big IPA dude. Um, but I like a lager. Tecate is probably up there. It's like my go-to Mexican beer of choice. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I can't, I'm, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to like super hoppy stuff. Ah, no, uh, dude, I had a Tecate on Saturday. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> right on. <laughs> when you're at a taco place, you gotta, you gotta kind of, that's right. It's perfect. Yeah. It's what you need. There you go. Well, Bryce, congratulations on an incredible new album. Um, I always like to ask the artists, where's the best place for people to go and buy this? I mean, a lot of people will stream it, which is great as well. But if you had to recommend where to go get it, where do you recommend? I think Bandcamp is always the answer. This will the whole whole record will be coming out everywhere on June 9th. It's been out on Bandcamp for uh, a few weeks, and that's a great place to if you want to kick me seven bucks if you like what you hear. That's that's always ideal. That's a great price, and uh, this is coming out on Bandcamp Friday, so or Bandcamp Friday should be this Friday coming up here, uh, June. Yes. Yeah. So this will this will be perfect timing then. Look at there that. It's like we planned it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Part of the plan. Uh, well, congratulations, and I hope we, we cross paths. Are, are you guys coming down to the southeast, you know, anytime in the... Southeast. I uh, wish I knew. It's tough. It's hard to stay on top of our own schedule. You can go to buffalorosemusic.com if you want to check out our schedule. I can't remember right now if that's in the cards. Yeah, no worries. I'll check that out. I'll post links to everything. And man, thank you so much for doing the, the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. This is, uh, this is awesome. All right, there you have it. Thank you so much to Bryce. $7 for an entire album. I mean, if you're in line buying a Starbucks coffee right now, you're probably paying more for that specialty drink. So go over there and and pick up that album. It really is an incredible album. And uh, all the links below to Buffalo Rose, to Bryce's website, and also links to Elderly Instruments, where you can get those Mike Marshall books, and a link to the video of Bryce playing Amongst the Planets. Hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Cheers, everybody.